Let's do it. I hit it. Okay, okay now we got to behave. No more talk about John anymore. <laughs> He's in the room. Okay. Page 496. <laughs> Bottom of 496. Continuing our discussion about Kavana. Developing passion, developing feelings, developing an inner relationship with God. While love and reverence are both important, we said the starting point is actually reverence. The starting point of a relationship is not love, although love is crucial, love is important, and we're not throwing love under the bus. But if you had to choose one, you would choose respect over love. A relationship founded on respect is a lot more sustainable, on, on, sustainable than a relationship that is founded on pure love, on love without respect. And that's why we said respect, reverence, and using those words interchangeably is the root of our service to God. That's the beginning of our service to God. How do we develop a feeling of reverence for God? We have to think about his presence. We have to think about him. The more we are, uh, the, the more he is on our mind, the more we're going to think, of, the more we think about it, the more we're going to feel it. And Vitanya gave us a very specific meditation. We quoted, let's take a look on 496, right where it says 11th of Nisan. Right under there, it's the second to last bold paragraph. This is one of the 12 verses that the Rebbe would encourage young children, not just young children, but starting from a young age, encourage people to, to know by heart because there, it's an important tool for life. And look, God is standing over you, as the verse says in Genesis. And all the earth is filled with his glory, as it says in Isaiah. And he's watching you and he's checking your inclinations in your heart to see if you're worshiping him properly. So think about for a moment that God is really standing over here. He knows exactly what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. He knows exactly what I'm doing. If what I'm doing is right and wrong. And if I'm knowingly doing it, doing right or wrong, he's a very much aware in the present. He is presently aware. You know, in, in, the, um, in the morning davening, the blessings that we recite before the Shema, we say a, a line, velo nevosh, right? Velo nevosh. Sounds familiar? Velo nikahalem. Velo nevosh means let us not be embarrassed. Wait, where is that? It's, it's in the blessings of the Shema. It's the paragraph, the blessing that's recited right before the Shema. Okay. I say it every day, but I just, out of context, I guess I don't recognize it. So we, we say, God, let us not be ashamed. Let us not be embarrassed. And the literal meaning of that is, let us not be embarrassed in front of other people. Let us be proud of who we are. Give us the strength. Give us the courage. But a deeper explanation is, God, let us not be embarrassed in front of you. Because if we realized how present you were, our behavior would be much different. So let us not be embarrassed in front of you. In other words, let us be aware 
of your presence. That's essentially what we're praying for. And that's why we say the Shema right afterward. God is one. God is present. And if God is present, then take a look on 496, the next bold paragraph. What should be the result of internalizing God's presence? Therefore, you ought to worship him with awe and reverence. And your awareness of his presence should be palpable and tangible as if you were standing right in front of the king. Actually, I'm going to underline that in my book. I like to underline things. In the Hebrew, as if you're standing right in front of the king. You're not just in a country governed by the king. We are literally standing in front of the king. And that's a super important distinction. If I'm in, if I'm just in the country or state or province, whatever, governed by the king, okay, I got to follow his rules. But if I'm standing in front of the king, literally, my composure, is that the right word? You tell me, is going to be completely different. I'm going to compose myself differently. I'm going to behave, my, behave differently. If the king reads my thoughts, I'm going to think differently. The great sage, I think we mentioned this last week, the great sage Rabbi Yochanan on his deathbed offered a blessing to his students. May your fear of God be as strong as the fear of people. And they didn't, they, they, they almost took offense to that. <laughs> what do you mean? God should be treated with greater reverence. Said, yeah, but how do you behave when you're in front of people, right? Because it's real. <laughs> the concept is real. The concept of God should be real. We should behave in front, in front of God. We're always in front of God. We always got to be on our best behavior. This, the nuance here in the Tanya, you know, it's a basic belief that God is our king. God is, the nuance here in Tanya is that we have to actually think about it. That's really what he's pushing here. In other words, the beliefs, the basic beliefs that we have as Jewish people, let's internalize them. Let's think about them. And, and here's what he says, actually, on the top of 497. the first bold paragraph on the top of 497. And you should think deeply about all of this at length, however much your mind and thoughts can grasp. So that's going to vary from person to person and according to your time constraints, especially before studying Torah or doing a mitzvah, such as the daily worship of donning the talis and then the tefillin. The reason why he brings um, different commentaries explain the reason why he brings the example of Talis and Tefillin, those are the first things you do in the morning. So the idea is early in the morning, we're about to pray. We're about to talk to God. Take a moment and literally think about how he's present, how we're standing in front of him. We're about to talk to the king. The king is present. There's, there's something I read that, that God's got no end. There's no, so a king has got an end, but 
He's, there's no end to him. He's everywhere. Excellent question. Excellent point. God is every, so. So first of all, that that's kind of the point. You know, a king is limited to one to his to his key, to his palace. Yeah. God is not only in the palace. He's not only in heaven. He's he's everywhere. But oh. but you, it's true. We are limited to our ability to grasp him. I I just had an experience that kind of brought this point home for me in a way. So mm -hmm. I switched for a moment to look at my web browser and. For a moment, I forgot that you can all see me. And I was just looking, reading whatever I was looking at on the web page, and then I saw that green light that reminds me that you're all looking at me. And <laughs> I kind of thought, oh, I better behave well, like not like pick my nose or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's a that's an excellent that's an excellent example. Imagine if we felt that God is really we felt God's presence. We felt the eyes gazing at us, not you know figuratively. Yeah. yeah. Who remembers the famous line in Perkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers? Contemplate three things and you won't come to sin. Yeah. Right? There's the eye that sees, the ear that hears, and everything's being recorded. If we really felt that that was real, and that wasn't just a, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> but that, that's, a, that's called the rabbi syndrome. Rabbis who have to constantly give classes and speak, they have a hard time studying and internalizing. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to write to it. <laughs> but what, he, what he's suggesting here is that we actually take a moment before we dive in and take that good insight that we enjoyed. And let's take a moment to actually internalize it. And I, I think we should actually do this for homework. I rarely assign homework to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Besides for our readings, right? How do you know we would do it? <laughs> Integrity. God is watching. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but tomorrow morning, take a few moments. It doesn't even have to be in the morning. It could be any time. But before you're about to pray, before you're about to recite a blessing, think a moment, for a moment to, to whom I'm about to pray to. Who am I reciting this blessing to? And how God, whom I'm about to recite this blessing to, whom I'm about to pray to, is present. How God is not, despite him being the God of the entire world. And there's a lot going on in this world. This world is a busy place. I mean, you, let's start more specifically. Pleasanton is busy. <laughs> California is busy. The United States is busy. The entire earth is busy. There's a lot. Human life itself is complicated. Seven billion people. Seven billion worlds. Not to mention animal life, plant life. Above, on ground, in the sea. Now zoom out and our entire galaxy and perhaps other galaxies. There's a lot of life that God uh, sustains. Zoom out beyond our world. We spoke about the different spiritual worlds, the different spiritual states of awarenesses where the angels reside. Yet God takes special interest in you. God feels the need to hold you accountable, to hold me accountable, to hold each and every one of us accountable. So you just said something that, that just kind of like, took off in my head for a second, which was, okay, um, the universe, 
whatever is out there in the universe. And when you think about um, think about Hashem and, and the Torah and the chosen people, and you think of the earth that Hashem created. Um, and I can't say that I've I've heard too much discussion about what else is out there in the universe from the Jewish perspective. Now, it, the Torah would have you believe, I think, that um, everything else that might be out in the universe is not the Jewish people here on earth. And, and there, while there might be life out there that you were just alluding to, um, there is no substitute for the earth and the Jewish people that he gave his Torah to. Um, can you comment just a little bit about that? Okay, excellent question. Excellent question. I was interested in that too. That also made my hairs perk up. <laughs> the, the, the bottom line is that all of existence centers around humanity. Now, you wouldn't think so because you see people being led by their dogs and their dogs aren't leading them. No, I'm kidding, but <laughs> just teasing. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was some comedian who said that you see, if you were an alien coming down from, from space onto earth and you see who do you think the master is and who do you think the owner <laughs> George Carlin? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but the, the bottom line is all of existence centers around humanity. According to, actually Maimonides writes this explicitly and, and it, it's, it's definitely up for debate in science, but this is what Maimonides maintains that the sun circuits orbits around the earth. The common belief, um, and I believe this was started by Galileo, was that the earth orbits around the sun and that the sun is kind of the core of the universe or at least of our galaxy and that everything's orbiting around the sun. Maimonides maintained otherwise. Maimonides maintained that the earth is the core and it's the sun that orbits around the earth and the moon and everything else is orbiting around the earth. Um, bottom line, it's, it's just a theory of relativity, kind of depends on where you're standing. But the implication, the deeper implication is what is the center of existence? And the point, so the point is no matter how much exists, whether there is or isn't life on other planets, and I, I don't know, but, and, and I don't know if Torah has anything to offer on that, not that I'm aware of, but I'm, you know, there might be, but the idea is everything centers around earth. And the reason why that's significant is because despite how much there is going on, the existence of all the different planets and the existence of everything in the world, everything centers around literally you and me as individuals as a people, but as individuals as well. It says in the Talmud, Adam and Eve were created, you know, God created the world in six days. Adam and Eve were created last. They were created on day six. Why did he create them last? If people are so prominent and important and life is so sacred, why did God create people last? So the Talmud says, well, if you're behaving, we're going to say that everything was created in advance. So that way you come to a ready world. The world is created for you. 
right? The world is my oyster. But if I'm misbehaving, then what we say is even a fly was created before you. So it's all a matter of perspective. And the perspective we're hoping to earn is that the world is created for us and, and not in an arrogant way, but in a motivating way. God takes special interest in every single individual. Imagine a king, think about it. The president of the United States doesn't know your name. He's not expected to know your name. That's not the expectation. But God knows your name. God knows what we eat. He, he knows everything. He, it's, it, what's fascinating is Jewish law governs every area of life. There's, a, there's an entire chapter in Shulchan Aruch in the, in the Jewish code of law in proper conduct in the bathroom. Think about it. The king cares about how I go to the bathroom. That's crazy. He doesn't just care how I lead my religious life, how I lead my moral life. He doesn't just care that I'm a nice person. He cares how I go to the bathroom. Am I going to do it with dignity? And just remembering that on our mind reminds us how relevant God is, how present God is, and how much he really cares. And, and the challenge I'd like to suggest is we try to think about that even for 30 seconds, 20 seconds, to really picture the presence of God in our lives and the relevance of God in our lives. You know, in go last week's Torah portion, we read about the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. And we read the Ten Commandments, which is a myth, by the way. It's Ten Statements, not Ten Commandments. Um, 613 Commandments, Ten Statements. It's actually a debate. According to the Torah, it's Ten Commandments. According to Mel Brooks, it's 15 Commandments, right? And I, and I love that line, but one question, then, if it's the Ten Statements, are they counted as part of the 613? Yeah, some of them. Some of them. Okay. So, so, but you, you kind of have this, uh, this mathematical problem, right? Because if there's 613 commandments, but 10 of them are statements, that means only there's, there's only 603 commandments and 10 statements, or are there 613 commandments and 10 statements? <laughs> 10 of those were stated. Okay. <laughs> so the first of the 10 statements is I am the Lord, your God. And the way you say your in Hebrew, so in English, when you're talking to an individual, you say your. Um, when you're talking to a uh, multiple people, you're also going to say your. It's the same word. But in Hebrew, and I'm, I think in most other languages, there's the singular form of your and there's the plural form of your. And in this case, it's the singular form that's used, right? In this case, it's the singular form that's used when God was talking to millions of people. Millions of people, millions of Jews, three million Jews gathered at Sinai. And God says, I am the Lord, you are in the singular. I'm the Lord, your God. Because he is relevant and cares about every individual. We matter to God. To the point that going back to the, to the couple lines we quoted on the bottom of 496, he's watching you, he's checking your inclinations in your heart. 
He knows how we behave. He knows how we feel. He knows if we're trying to put in effort to care. Right? A mortal king cares if we pay our taxes. He doesn't care if we care about paying taxes. <laughs> most kings or most government officials aren't going to say, I need you to love paying taxes. I don't just need you to pay those taxes. <laughs> I'm really glad that's the case. Really yeah, exactly. Well, unless you vote for them. <laughs> but but um, I, I think this is an important challenge. Going back to 497, thinking about this in the morning. Moda'ani is a great start. But before we pray, before we, we daven, taking 20 minutes, before we're about to do a mitzvah, taking 20 seconds to think about this, to compose ourselves so we can actually be more mindful. In the feeling, the feeling that will be evoked will be a sense of reverence. In the 1700s, there was a um, Hasidic rabbi named Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. Heard of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl? Is that the Chernobyl that everybody thinks I was about? About to say, was that where the nuclear explosion was? Yeah, pre this was pre uh, pre nuke, but yeah, I think okay. I think it's the same place. Reb Nachum of Chernobyl was a colleague of the author of the Tanya. His last name was Twersky, mm -hmm. an ancestor to the recent Rabbi Doctor Twersky. I believe, I believe he's a direct descendant, and there's a lot of Hasidic lineage that came from Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. Reb Nachum of Chernobyl was a famed student of the Baal Shem Tov, as well as the Magid. And there's, there's a lot of stories about him. There's a lot of teachings from him. He's quoted in Hayom Yom. He's quoted in other places as well. And one of the stories is that he was reciting Kiddush Friday night. And he picks up the Kiddush cup and he closes his eyes and he starts shaking. <laughs> the wine spills. So it's okay, take two. Refills the wine, picks it up composes himself and he begins to tremble. The wine spills. Okay, let's try it a third time. <laughs> Finally, the fourth time he was able to get through Kiddush. And they asked him, Reb Nachum, what, what's going on? <laughs> Why are you trembling? So he says, I pick up the Kiddush club and before I recite Kiddush, I take a few minutes to think about to whom I'm reciting the Kiddush. And I'm filled with a deep sense of reverence. Now, that's not necessarily the reaction we are, that's going to happen to us. That should happen to us. But the idea is to him, God was so present. He felt it. The wine literally spilled. Is that why every Friday that all the rabbis that I know spill the wine all over the place? <laughs> They put a, even a special cup. All my cousins, they all spill the wine. Like they let it run over. Yeah, there, there is a custom to for Abdel also. There is a custom to to overfill the cup because it's an overfilling cup of blessing. You want the blessings to overflow. Okay, so but, it's also um, reverence and overflowing. Uh, for, yeah, we're all about overflowing, overflowing blessings. Rav Nachum is with his with his passion, with his reverence, took it to a whole new level. But the idea is before he did a mitzvah, before he was about to recite Kiddush, who am I reciting Kiddush to? 
it, it makes the service to God, whether it be prayer, whether it be any midst of it, makes it genuine. Because now it's not just a sentimental tradition. It's not a performance. It, I'm just I'm talking to God. And obviously God is always present, but I want to be aware of those, that presence. God is doing his part. He's present. <laughs> Our part is to be aware of that presence. As difficult as it is. In general, before doing a mitzvah, every mitzvah has, you know, a mitzvah needs basically, a mitzvah needs kavana, intent. And every mitzvah has two types of intent. There's the general intent, which we're going to discuss briefly. And there's the specific intent, which we're going to discuss briefly. The minimum is to have the general intent. I'm doing this because God told me to. And I'm aware of God's presence to whom I'm serving. But then there's the specific intent of the mitzvah. What is the specific meaning in my relationship with God in this mitzvah? What is the significance of this mitzvah in, my, in our relationship? That's a lot harder because it takes a lot more study and a lot more background, um, background information. But let's start with the first one. Let's start with the general kavana. Um, the page, where are we? Page 498. And here's what he says. You should also contemplate, it's the first bold paragraph on 498. You should also contemplate how the blessed infinite light which fills all worlds and transcends all worlds is the divine will expressed in an undiluted fashion in the Torah you are reading, in its texts and ideas, or in the tzitzit or tefillin you're putting on, and same thing with any other mitzvah, these are just examples, and by reading the Torah text, putting on the tzitzit or tefillin, or performing any other mitzvah, you pull upon yourself God's blessed light. When we study Torah, when we do a mitzvah, we're bringing God's light upon ourselves. Think, of, think about it this way. Imagine you met, imagine you met the king. It, you know, it's hard to, to, it's hard to picture the idea of king because we don't have that concept, but, but any official, that is treated with some uh, degree of reverence, whether it be a governor, a president of the United States, someone, someone that we don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily just have casual conversation with, right? And, and picture whatever example works for you, whether it be a king, a president, a governor, maybe a celebrity, but somebody who you wouldn't necessarily just, hey, what's up, bro? You know, not, not now you're talking to this individual, you're standing in front of them with this sense of, I guess, reverence. And they start sharing with you their personal opinion on life. They start sharing with you their personal values. Now that you have their values to think about, you have a deep part of them in your mind. Because they gave you a glimpse into how they see life. They gave you a glimpse into their vision. Imagine they shared with you even deeper, not just their values, their, their inner desires. 
what they enjoy, their pleasure. You now know a deep part of them. Now, we're, we're, it doesn't sound that deep because we're just used to learning about everybody so easily you know, on Facebook. We see what everybody had for lunch today. But, but think about it for a moment. Think about the concept for a moment. There's somebody whom we would normally treat with reverence, with respect, with, where there's this natural distance just because of their position. And they start, they start, they start sharing their opinion, their values, their views on life. They start sharing their desires, their pleasures. You have a real piece of them with you. And if you were to fulfill their desires, wow, what a relationship, whoa. That's exactly what God is doing. The Torah or his values. God is being vulnerable with us. The king is being vulnerable. The king chose to be vulnerable with me, with you, with us. To share his Torah, to share his values, to share his vision for humanity, to share his, his perceptions. He's sharing his desires, what gives him pleasure, his mitzvahs. And having that in mind as we study the Torah brings it a whole new meaning. A whole okay, new significance. So I, wanna, I have a question. Yeah. What, what about give and take? So he's sharing and then you should share because relationships are two ways. They're not just one way. 100%. And having respect for it and listening to it and being part of and not just giving out what you know, but, but allowing like expression and, and growth. Right. Agreed. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's where, that's one of the roles that prayer takes. You know, when we study Torah, God is sharing his values with us. But when we pray, we're talking to God. When we study Torah, he's talking to us. But when we pray, we're talking to him. And, and there is that give and take, 100%. A very valid point. That there, there has to be that give and take, you know, takes two to tango, as they say. For the relationship, <laughs> yeah. For the relationship to flourish, 100%. But imagine we saw, the, imagine we saw Torah study in that light. Imagine we saw prayer in that light. I'm not just beseeching God for my needs, which is an important part of prayer. But like you're saying, Sharon, I'm actually just sharing a part of myself with God, my thoughts, my feelings, my concerns. And imagine we saw Torah not just as God's, um, not just as a history book or God's demands, but, but as God being vulnerable with us, sharing himself. We would approach the Torah with more reverence. We would approach prayer with more reverence, more a, a sense of opportunity. I get a chance to share myself. And here's, here's what he says, the next bold paragraph. The way this works is that the light, you know, seeing mitzvahs, not just as a sentimental activity, but as a conduit for God's light, because it's his will, his desires. Torah is not just information, but a conduit for his light because it's his values. And the way this works is that this light is pulled upon your divine soul, a piece of God above, which is inside your body. And engages your body in the mitzvah act, causing you to be absorbed and lose your separate identity within God's blessed light. God is hosted in our bodies. And we spoke about this at length in earlier chapters. How when we do a mitzvah, God becomes integrated within the physical part of the world, including our own bodies. 
and part of the soul, you know, there's different parts of the soul. There's a part of our soul, which is abstract that we're less conscious of, but God can become part of the soul, which is inside the body, part of our conscious soul. When we have the right kavana. And the truth is, even if we don't have the kavana, it's becoming part of our soul, but the kavana means being aware of it. In other words, when we study Torah, we're being intimate with God because we're getting a glimpse into his, his perspective. When we do a mitzvah, we're being intimate with God because we're getting a glimpse into what his true desire is. That's intimate. If we have kavana, that means we're aware of the intimacy. We're not, we're treating the intimacy with reverence, with respect, because it's sacred. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Then there's the more specific kavana. And that's going to vary from mitzvah to mitzvah. This kavana that we just spoke about is the same by every mitzvah. This is the divine will, and I'm connecting to God's divine will. But then there's the specifics of every mitzvah. Every mitzvah has its own meaning, its own significance. For example, the meaning behind tefillin is connecting our heart and mind to God. The idea of a talis, surrounding ourselves with God. The meaning of Shabbos candles, illuminating our world with God. The meaning of taking challah, separating challah before making a batch of challah, making that blessing is reminding that everything we have comes from God and we're giving a piece to it. So every mitzvah is going to have its own meaning. And that's going to just, that's going to require kind of learning more insight into each mitzvah. And that's called the, the specific kavana. So there's two types of kavana. There's the kavana, the general kavana, which means I'm connecting, I'm, I'm internalizing that this is the divine will. There's the specific kavana, learning more about the specific impact of that divine will on me. Okay, any questions or thoughts before we move on? Comments, reflections, applications. I just, I've always been daunted by um, the knowledge um, it requires to really hone in on the specific covenant of all of the mitzvahs. And I feel like it's, it's, I don't want to say it's an unreachable goal, but it just seems so far out there to really have the true um, understanding of how to do things just the right and, and intended way. It is daunting. Yeah, it is daunting. You know what? But we could do things in steps. Start with the general Kavana, knowing that through a mitzvah, I am incorporating God's will and values into my life. I'm doing what he wants. I am um, fulfilling his vision for humanity. And God is present with me knowing that I'm doing this. That's the, you know, that's the more general Kavana. That itself, I see as daunting. 
<laughs> to think about that every time we're about to pray, every time we're about to do it, it takes a little bit of patience and, and you know, focus, especially when life gets busy. It's, it's... So, so it, here's, here's my be... example. My, my example is like, okay, um, is there, <laughs> to, to use the, uh, to, the, the academic expression, do you get partial credit? <laughs> in other words, if, 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 you know, if, if you, you think you know what you're doing, but it turns out you're not really doing it the right way, um, is there this partial credit? I mean, you, you, you intended to do it, but you didn't know you weren't doing it the right way. And, and so how is that, how is that received by Hashem? Okay, it's a good question. In terms of credit, 100%, you might even get 100% credit. But in terms of forging the, the connection that you're supposed to forge, so, so there's two things. There's the behavioral act of the mitzvah. That's the most important thing. Make sure, you know, that it's done. You know, Shabbos candles need to be written at the right time. Tefillin has to be put on at the right time. There, there's the, the specific details on how to do it. But in terms of the kavana, that's that's there's a much more gray area, 100%. 100%. And think about it this way. Moses gave charity, we give charity. Moses put on tefillin, we put on tefillin. Moses um, lit the Shabbos candles, we lit the Shabbos candles. And in terms of the behavioral act, there's not much difference between us and Moses. In terms of the kavana, the passion, the reference that Moses perhaps experienced, our experience of the mitzvah is not going to be the same because we're not Moses. So it, it, it's a, that, in that sense, it's a work in process. It's a growth. There's, there, there's a concept of quality versus quantity. So the kavana makes it quality. And and to right. make something so if you're doing the mitzvahs, but maybe if you concentrate on one at a specific time and you neglect one or two in a little bit, but you just do them anyway, then then will it be badly looked at because there's a time constraint? No, no, you, you're doing what you can. And actually he in, in the next part of the chapter, take a look on 501, where it says section six in the bottom, the last all the way at the bottom of the page. Here's actually what he says. Let's say you, you know, there's, we're limited human beings. How much kavana do I already have? Do I have time for already? <laughs> How much resources do I have already? So he says, let's say you tried and you didn't succeed. So he says, you might be more successful than you actually think you are. Because take a look on the, on the bottom of the page. And I think this will answer your question. You tell me if it doesn't though. And then, even if after contemplating all of this doesn't result in a feeling of awe and trepidation, next page, 502. So even if I'm, I'm thinking about the relevance of God, I'm thinking about his impact in my life, his presence in my life during a mitzvah, and I'm supposed to feel it, but I don't. Right? I don't have a feeling that actually coming upon your heart. I don't have an emotional feeling. Nevertheless, since you've accepted God's sovereign authority 
and you've drawn upon yourself a conscience reverence of God, at least in your thoughts and in your willpower of your brain, your acceptance of God's authority and mental reverence together are enough for the worship to be authentic. What Tanya soon refers to as full service. In other words, even if I am not feeling it, I made a decision in my mind that I am serving God. And I've thought about God and I've thought about God's presence and I'm trying to be aware of his presence. The fact that I'm not feeling it doesn't mean I'm not serving him anymore. It's just a problem with my feelings. Okay, so I'm, I'm limited, I'm deficient in one way or another, but I'm still serving him now. I'm still, it's still considered to be a legitimate kavana. Take a look at the next bold paragraph because I found this couple of words just um, mind altering. The next bold paragraph in the middle of the page. And even though you don't feel it palpably in your heart, this mental acceptance of God's authority is without a doubt authentic. A relationship can be authentic even though I don't feel it. Because all of Israel have in their inherent soul deposition, disposition, sorry, not to be insubordinate to the blessed holy king. If I make a decision, I think about God and I decide this is whom I am serving and I develop that interconnection and I happen not to feel it in my heart, that doesn't take away from its authenticity. It's still real. I'm going to read this next paragraph, the last uh, bold paragraph on the page. So that the Torah, so the Torah that you study or the mitzvah that you perform as a result of this acceptance of God's authority and as a result of the conscious reverence felt at least in your brain, at least the appreciation, if not the emotion, is called full service. We've completely served God authentic, uh, authentically. Like any other service offered by, authored, offered, sorry, by a loyal servant to his master king. So if we're being conscious, even if it doesn't yet work its way down to our emotions, which is bound to happen, time is limited, resources are limited, we're limited. Even if it doesn't work its way down to emotions, the appreciation that I'm talking to God itself is valuable and authentic. Okay, so now, um... That I understood everything you just said, which was not my actual problem that I was trying to address. Okay. Um, let me, I guess, let me uh, present the problem by example. All right. So you're supposed to say Shema by a certain time of the morning uh, every day. And let's say you, uh, we're, we're coming upon the in the clocks due to daylight savings time and you change your clock a week early and you still refer to the same tables and now you got it wrong for an entire week and yet you had in 100% kavanah uh, every time you recited the shema but you did it too late for an entire week all right so now you know it was fully in your heart you fully was felt connected to hashem but you did it at the wrong time for an entire week. 
what happens there? Was do, do you have this? Was was there truly no connection with Hashem because you did it too late, even though you didn't realize you were doing it too late? I mean, that that that's where I'm getting. It's like it's like there, there's so many details in how to do something right, and, how, and and if you don't get it right, but you still have the that full hearted feeling and connection with Hashem. Um, that's where I struggle because like the, you know, the devil's in the details, they say, right. But <laughs> there, there's truth, truth, right. So if you get it wrong, but you fully have the Kavana, then what? That's a tough question. That's a very tough question. That's a very tough question. Well, in, in that <laughs> case, where, where did the time determination come from? I mean, the Shema is from the Torah. And we know that we have to say it from the Torah, but when it says, like today in Mount House, I think the last time you could say Shema was 9.39 a.m. Where does that come from? Is that rabbinic? Right. That's a, no, that's, that's considered biblical. Um, it, it's derived actually from, from the verse, one of the verses in the Shema implies that it has to be by a certain time. But that, that's just one example, right? I mean, you, but, you but that's think, an example, you, but you can you'll, think you'll of a hundred examples like that, right? You'll have it with Tefillin. If the Tefillin were a little bit off center or if the, you know, you'll, you'll have it with everything. Wait a right. second. That's a 100%. problem if they're a little off center, not exactly centered. Uh -oh. no. If it's off center. <laughs> so, so there's the... <laughs> So is Hashem wanting perfection when it comes to everything that we do? I mean, is he that, is it, is it so specific that it's the intent, the kavana, the, the, the actual mitzvah itself, it doesn't, doesn't hold as much water as the perfection that surrounds it, or is it specific to certain mitzvahs? I, and, you know, and what do what, those what of us the, with OCD do? One <laughs> of the examples I, I relate to is you know occasionally when i'm sending an email let's say to the jli group i just sent an email tonight to the jli group and i get back two or three emails that say um wrong address it can't be it, it won't go through you know you ever get those automatic replies from gmail wrong address it won't go through mailer damon right you're right and the truth is that's not fair because nine out of 10 letters were correct. I was one letter off. Are you I, period off. I might have been a comma instead of a period, a dash instead of a hyphen, a capital instead of, why I won't go through, it's not fair. Right? The Google servers are not godly. But, yeah. but the idea is, the, the, the concept is something we could, we actually do relate to details quite well in other areas of our lives. We are so, as humans, we are so detail-oriented, right? Yeah. You call a phone number and you're one number off. It was hard enough to memorize the number. I finally got it. And I'm one number off and I call the wrong person. We are detail-oriented. How could it's you be just, one number off these days? It's in your address to your phone right <laughs> so you know what thank god with technology things have become easier <laughs> but um, it's the same thing in our relationship with god as well with with the phone calls that you'll never get through if you get the wrong number but with um 
I think with the with the thing, if it's a little skewed, there's something called beetle. That it's just, you're doing most of it right. And there's a, one little thing that's just off and you didn't know about it. So you kind of got to ignore it and just keep going until you get it right. So, so sometimes, you know, sometimes let's say a website. Sometimes there's flexibility with a website. If you don't have the exact website, you put it in the search engine on Google and it's going to come up. Yeah. You'll get there. So it is going to depend. Certain things might have more flexibility. These are things we relate to on a daily basis, where there's certain things that are more black and white. There's certain things that, okay, you're good enough. You did it. You know, you got there. You got where you needed to go. Actually, I have a good example of this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, so, so there's a, uh, a brewery I really like. They make a beer called Pliny the Younger, and they release it once a year. And, but, you know, because of COVID, they had a special thing this year where they were going to ship it out. Mm. And, um, but you had to order at exactly 11 a.m. And only 500 orders, no, 5,000 orders would be accepted. Sold out in four minutes. Well, when I Googled, like oh. you just said, Google, it should, you know, correct things for you. Turned out the Google search result had a typo. I didn't know oh, that. No. So I thought, oh, I guess the site's down so many people. So I didn't get to um, order. I even post about this on Facebook. I got my beer. You know how I got my beer? When I left the Minion yesterday, J Judy Lawrence, she knew I liked that beer and she saw my Facebook post. So wow. she, she gave me one from, from her shipment that she had ordered for her daughter. So That's very kind. I think there can be an analogy made that if you miss the time, there's still some forgiveness that somehow comes back. For, forgiveness, 100%. It, it, yeah. in, in terms of accountability and forgiveness and, um, you know, it's not like God says, I have hard feelings, you, missed, you made a mistake. And in terms of forgiveness, for, for sure. But at the end of the day, in terms of the emails got to go through. I still got my go beer. Through. I still got my beer. Okay, you know what? That, so so the, the truth is, the concept of teshuva will surpass any limitation, even the limitation of a mitzvah. That's why actually many authorities, including Maimonides, maintain that teshuva is not a mitzvah. And the reason is because it's actually higher than mitzvahs. A mitzvah requires a certain framework, right? The email has to be exact. The phone number has to be exact. The wires has to be attached properly. The, the pipes need to be hooked up to the right. A mitzvah is very, has to be done right. Teshuva is going beyond the limitation that a mitzvah has. And to put it, to, to word it this way, a mitzvah is God's will. Teshuva connects us to God who has the will. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So, so is it, is, you know, I, I guess this relates in many ways to other discussions that we've had that, you know, you're, um, when you do teshuva, uh, sometimes it becomes even greater than um, in, in importance than the misdeed or whatever it is you were, you know, doing that was improper. The the, the teshuva has, creates uh, an even stronger uh, connection with Hashem. Exactly. Uh, and, and I guess in this example that I gave, um, you know, as soon as you realize that you're on the wrong clock per se 
um, and you, you know, start doing it and, and it, within the correct time frame, and you know, you you uh, speak with Hashem about you know how sorry you were for this last week where you got the clock wrong and blah 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 blah. Um, that is in itself, you know, teshuva for having gotten it wrong and and makes up for that. Right. Yes. Right. Isn't teshuva just kavanah? Sorry? They kind of overlap, I would say. Good question. Teshuva and and kavanah overlap. I I do want to say that teshuva, there's different components of teshuva, different levels of teshuva. There's a basic teshuva of, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Repentance. But teshuva in its purest form, if you translate it literally, means returning. I'm returning, I'm realigning myself connecting to God. In other words, I messed up perhaps on God's will. This could be neglecting to do a mitzvah properly. It could be transgressing a prohibition, but I messed up in God's will. And what Teshuvah does says, well, wait a minute. You have a relationship with God. So although his will and you, (laughs) although you're not connecting through his will, if you we have to take a, a um, we have to take a more direct channel. Let's connect to him. It's a it's a more pure relationship. And d- d- does this apply even to something that was purely accidental, like having missed the, the clock change kind of thing? Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. It, it will be easier in that case. I was going to say, you know, because t- typically you associate teshuva with something that. Uh, feels intentionally, you know, there's some intention behind what you were, well, I don't know, lapse of judgment, call it what you want, but, but what was the, the, you know, turning a clock back by a week or something that that, that's purely accidental, completely. Mistakes happen. And and that's, you know, sorry, real quick. Should I still be recording? Good question. Depends how deep we want to go. It's up to everybody. <laughs> you didn't, you I, I, didn't I say that's my story and I'm sticking with it yet. So I well, that's I, my I, story I, and I'm sticking to it. I didn't mean to dominate. <laughs> dominate. No, seriously, no, no, should no. I stop? No, yeah. You well, can if, if there's more to talk about, you know, we, sh- we should continue. No, no, this is this is pretty much this is pretty much it. But I think this is I think what you raise is an important. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just clarify. So stop recording. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm stopping. Then you can say whatever you want. <laughs>